Let's turn to the Word of God this morning. Luke's Gospel, please. Luke's Gospel, chapter 5. Could I just say, and I want to welcome uh, Pastor Jan and his wife and son, uh, Polish pastor, and let's make him welcome, please, this morning. You're very welcome indeed. The Lord bless you. God bless you. Uh, he's from Poland, but they've done a lot of work here and around uh, Europe and Eastern Europe as well. So you're very welcome this morning. God richly bless you. God richly bless you indeed. Uh, this is part three of Simon Says. And it's strange that the very first part, when I said we're going to speak on Simon Says, someone came to me after it and said, do you remember that Simon Says do this? Simon Says do this. And you were to do this when it said this. But if Simon Says do that and you done that, then you were put out of the game. I, I, I remember it myself. And, well, I don't think they... Uh, thought it was going to be uh, Simon Says throughout the scriptures as much that we have. So far, this is part three. Uh, so we're going to do Simon Says. Let's look at Luke chapter five. And what we'll do is we want to read a few verses and then come back to the chapter and to the narrative of the scripture. Luke five and verse one. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your blessing to us. We thank you for your spirit with us. We thank you that we have remembered and reminded ourselves of your son around the table this morning. And we have praised him in music and worship. I we pray, Father, you would settle our hearts and minds and speak to us through thy word. Bless those who are watching live this morning, wherever they may be, in whatever part of the world they're in. And Lord, we pray, Lord, whether it's live or later, we pray your blessing to be upon them. Give them their portion. For those who are on holidays, will you encourage them and strengthen them and refresh them. And Father, we're glad to see those who are away now back with us this morning also. May they receive a blessing from thy word. May we all receive instruction to the glory of thy name. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Amen. The Lord Jesus at the lake of Gennesaret. In John 6, it's also called the Sea of Tiberias. And Gennesaret is also known in the Hebrew as Kinneroth or Chinneroth. Kinneroth or Chinneroth, or if you want, it can be pronounced Kinneroth. Kinneroth. And it's important to see this because the whole story is lifted out of what is happening here. And believe it or not, the, the idea of this is the Sea of Harps. H-A-R-P, harp. And some say the area, the territory of where the Lord was, was shaped like a harp. And whether that be true or not, I don't know. But let me just, uh, let me just bring this word out in Kinnereth for a few moments. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, and we read of the Samuel the prophet of Israel telling Saul, who was man's choice of king, that he would meet a company of prophets, 1 Samuel 10 and verse 5. 
he would meet a company of prophets coming down from the high place, coming down from worship, coming down from a place with God, filled with the Spirit, meeting the prophets. And it says that he would meet these prophets coming down from the high place. They would have a psaltery was one of the instruments that is mentioned. It means a skin bag or an earthenware, but generally a skin bag. Some think it's a bagpipe, something of that nature, a bagpipe. Some think that's where the Scots get the bagpipes from, things like this. So it would be with a a psaltery, a, a skin bag and a navel or a, a flute and with a tabret or a timbrel a, a little tambourine a tofe is the word and with a pipe a colil which is a, a, another type of a flute but the harp is mentioned as a canoe and it means to twang some think it's more like a guitar sitar but mainly a harp a harp and Saul would come from, leave Samuel and come to these prophets who had come down from the high place, the place where they're in with God. Now here's something for us this morning to ask ourselves. When we came to this place, when we started to sing, when we gathered around the table, did you enter into the high place? With God. Some people stay at the doors of the lonely place. Some people stay in the outer court of worship. Some people don't enter into the high place with their heart to worship Christ. So this morning, did you enter into the high place? And for if you have, you're still in the high place, for the high place is where the word of God is preached and taught. Did you enter into the high place this morning? So the word kinor, you can see how it means harp, and it's the same as kinoreth. Verse 6 of First Samuel chapter 10, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them. Now remember this, Saul is a king chosen by man, not of God. And yet God is going to put his spirit on him that he will prophesy. For a moment in time, he does not enter, as it were, into the office of a prophet. There's a difference. Even in the New Testament, in the church, there's a difference made between the gift of prophecy and office of a prophet. He doesn't enter into the office of the prophet, but rather he is allowed to experience the gifting of the prophet. For a period of time. It says, And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them. Notice, and thou shalt be turned into another man. You see, whenever you're in the right company, uh, the prophetic company, as it were, the preaching company, though the company of those who love the Lord and are those who enter into the high place of worship, I'm not talking about the way they do in some denominations, the high altars and all of these things. I'm talking about in the spirit. In the spirit. 
When you enter into the place of the high place, in the Spirit of God, you're entering into something that is not natural, but supernatural. If God is not real and does not move and does not speak and does not bless and does not touch and does not convict with his spirit, then why are we here? There's times there's people at this side, away down here, right across the times over here, when we corporately almost sense, are aware of the spirit of God upon us in the meeting, in the worship, in the word. And corporately, if God isn't real, how does it happen to someone here, right through to someone here? And yet there's always the one or the two who are in the outer court, as it were, and leave barren and bereft of the Spirit of God and of the touch of the Lord and the knowledge of Him. They come out, they go out the same way in which they came in. wonder sometimes how that happens. But when we are in the presence of the Lord and the Spirit of God is among us, as He said He would be among us, I come expecting, I don't come just hoping, come expecting to meet with Him. And when we're in that place as Saul entered in with these men coming from the high place. He was entering into good company. And for that moment in time, it changed him into another man. You see, sister, your husband may be narky. Your husband may be angry. And brother, vice versa, well, your wife could be the same And many times, not all the time, but many times it's because they haven't spent time in the presence of the Lord. They haven't been praying about it. They haven't been seeking the face of God. When a man and a woman goes into the presence of God and enter that high place where it is the touch of the Master's hand upon them, They are changed into a different man. Women go to these, go to nightclubs and they go to bars and they hope to find a husband. Well, that's the type of husband you're going to get. But young person, sister, if you're looking for a husband, then find a godly one. Find a godly one, one who loves the Lord. One who is saved and knows Christ. Find a godly one. One who will lead his household in the ways of God. Yes, brother, you're the priest of your home. You are the priest of your home. Notice here, thou shalt be turned into another man. Without going through this chapter, what happened was, Saul started to prophesy. God brought him into this office or into this gifting for a period of time. And he started to prophesy so much so that the people looked at him. He was turned into another man. The people looked at him and said, is this Saul? I'm paraphrasing. Is this Saul? Is this the same Saul? 
See, God can change the heart. God can change the heart. God can touch the spirit of even a man like Saul. Fleshy. Fleshy men. Carnal men. And God can turn them into another man. Sister, don't give up. Keep praying. Keep praying for your husband. Keep praying for your husband. Whether you're looking one or you have one, keep praying. And brother, likewise. So the Lord Jesus is at Gennesaret. And in Luke 5 and verse 1 it says, The people pressed upon him to hear the word. Notice, came to pass that the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. Isn't that amazing? That it's the word of God that people wanted, the word of God that people needed. But when they heard the word, I want you to notice this. When they heard the word, instead of surrendering each and every one of them, they didn't. They didn't surrender. They didn't bow the knee. They didn't come to Christ and say, well, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, as we looked at last week. They didn't do any of it. Only some, the minute few, actually heard the word. You see, there are preachers who will preach, there are teachers who will teach, there are pastors who will tell you what you want to hear. What you want to hear. And it will help you maybe, it will keep you, it will make you feel good. But it's not what we want to hear, it's what we need to hear that makes the difference. It's what we need to hear from God that makes the difference. Notice that people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. They didn't press upon him to hear a little story, a fanciful furry tale of a thing, but the breaking down of the word of God, the expounding of the kingdom. The people were saying something different about this man. Do you remember the men were sent to arrest Jesus and bring them back to the, they were the temple guard and they were to bring them back to the Pharisees and, and when they heard Jesus speak and came back without him, they asked, where is he? And they said, never man speak like this man. Never man speak like this man. And these people were hearing. They weren't hearing passed down from rabbi to rabbi to rabbi and the word of God is diluted. It's like translations of the scriptures from Textus Receptus and then we have even from the King James it comes right down, someone reads and gives their idea and another brings it off that one and another brings it off that one and the word of God becomes polluted and diluted. They didn't come to hear a rabbi speaking about another rabbi. They didn't come to hear a a, a rabbi telling a story of another rabbi, what he had said and his thought upon it. No, they came to hear what this man had said and what he had to tell them, the word of God. But many of them did not hear with the inner ear because he was telling them what they needed to hear. So they'll be pressed upon 
It's the word epikamai. And, and it gives the idea to lean hard. To push hard like this. Such was the crowd who came. They were starting to press hard right into him. You see, the ones at the back couldn't hear, so they're trying to push forward. The crowd surge of it. And what's at the back of the Lord but the Sea of Galilee? Or, if you want, Gennesaret. Let me give you an idea of this word. In Acts 27 and verse 20, Paul is speaking about when they were in the ship in the Mediterranean. And Acts 27 and verse 20, the storm comes. Listen to what he says. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared. Many days had passed and the storm was all around them. It was really bad. It says, and no small tempest lay on us. All hope that we should be saved was then taken away. And of course, the Lord speaks and tells them how to be saved from that storm and from the sea. Now, the term here, no small tempest lay on us, is the exact same word. This storm was upon them, pressing the ship, moving it, blowing it, almost sinking it, and they couldn't do anything with it. They couldn't row in it. They couldn't sail through it. It was pressing, laying as like a heavy, weighted storm right on them. And only God could tell them how to get out of it. It's the same word that's used for those who pressed upon the Lord Jesus. Let me give you one more. In Luke 23, in verse 23, it says, And they were instant with their voices. This is the crowd in Jerusalem and the calling for the Lord Jesus. The Jews that were there in Jerusalem for Passover. It says, and they were instant with their voices, requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. And the word instant is the same word. It is the exact same word for they pressed upon the Lord. It is the exact same word for the storm lay on us. The idea is their voices were so vehement. Their voices were so heavy. Their voices were so adamant. Their voices were right upon Pontius Pilate. He couldn't do anything about it. It's the idea. Same word. It's the same word. And so they crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Lord gathered such a crowd around him that he got into a boat on by Simon Peter. Notice what it says in verse 2. And saw a ship standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. I take note of this. He borrows Simon's boat. And he asked Simon that he would push him out a little from the land. Notice, and he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him. It doesn't mean he actually prayed. It means he asked him, push me out, please. He requested of him to be pushed out. 
that he would thrust out a little from the land. Notice, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. This is the same body of land that we looked at when we done Simon Says Part 1. That Jesus walked upon the waves of the sea. It's the same body of land. Jesus walked upon the waves of the sea. Part 1, we looked at it. But notice here, it says here that he got into a ship, he asked for help, pushed me out, and he sat down and he taught. Here's a question I ask myself. Why did the Lord not simply walk out upon the top of the water and teach the people from there? He walked out three and a half miles the sea. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago. The sea was like a pavement to him when he rescued the, the disciples in the ship in the storm. Why did he not, when they were pressing against him, just simply walk out on to the water and stand and preach from there? So I thought about this. I thought about it. Here's what I've written. First of all, this may speak of the dual nature of Christ. That he is divine, yet he is human. May speak of the dual nature of Christ, that he is deity clothed in flesh. For example, without controversy, Paul writes in 1 Timothy 3.16, Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. The pastor was on a similar verse this morning, wasn't he? God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles or the nations, believed on in the world, received up into glory. So I have to ask you this morning, Without controversy, there's no argument about this, Paul says. Great is the mystery of godliness. Here's the mystery. Why did Jesus not walk out on the water and teach? As he walked out on the water to rescue. God was manifest in the flesh. Who was? Jesus was manifest in the flesh. Who was justified in the spirit? Jesus was justified in the spirit. Who was seen of angels? Jesus was seen of angels. Who was preached on to the Gentiles? Jesus was preached on to the nations of the Gentiles. Who was believed on in the world? Jesus. And who was received up into glory after he was crucified? The Lord Jesus. But why did he not walk out on the water and preach or teach as he did when he rescued Well, first of all, as I said, he may be showing his dual nature, humanity here, and deity over the water. Secondly, God's elect people will be saved by faith and not by sight. For example, Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now, as you know, I'm a Pentecostal, but I'm not a charismaniac. 
I'm certainly not ecumenical. But there are many who are chasing signs and wonders and they're following them rather than Christ. And I must wonder, are they saved? Are they saved? For example, Romans ten seventeen. So then faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Listen to what Paul writes again, 2 Corinthians 5 and 7. He says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. So he's preaching and he's teaching in a boat on the water. And Matthew 22 and 14, he said, many are called. Few are chosen. I wonder how many have been called, as it were, by the hearing of the ear, hearing the gospel, hearing of the saving of Christ, hearing of the blood of Jesus, hearing of his finished work, hearing it. Maybe in a town centre, city centre, in a church, something like this. I wonder how many have actually heard with the outer ear, but have never moved, as it were, into that high place with God by the giving of themselves, by the repenting of their sin. They haven't heard with, as it were, the inner ear, the inner man, the inner woman. And I wonder, you see, many are called to hear it. Come and hear the word of God. Come and do this uh, tent and you hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the amount of people throughout the years that I have seen spoken with and dealt with and so near yet so far have heard the word and walked away home without knowing the Christ, without knowing the God of the word. And there are even people who know the word of God but don't know the God of the word. I wonder how many have heard, but you see God has said, you, last Sunday evening, there's a man come in here. And after the meeting, he came right up to me here. David was talking to him. And a simple, will I see you again? I maybe, and he walked out the door and he said, he just stopped he turned around and he came in and he's saved. Well, led him to Christ. God knew where he was, you see. God had him here last Sunday night. See, there's many who will hear, but the chosen here and there. I wonder if it's someone's morning this morning. Or maybe we're all saved. So we, we think of how Christ would walk on the water. They would see him and follow the sign. But the faith comes by hearing. I, I'm not trying to down anywhere or anybody, so please don't get me wrong here, but I'm just saying it because it's true. The word of God is being taken out of many pulpits now. The word of God is being watered down. Where Jesus turned water into wine, they're turning the gospel from wine of God into water. It's being turned down so as not to uh, stir up too many hearts. 
one time not so long ago was asked to go and preach somewhere and there was a minister and he says to me, look, I'm saved but I can't preach the gospel because the people won't let me. I says, well, I'll preach it then. And I did. And I had a protest outside the church before I even came. And it says we're going to have a protest. And we says, right. And it went all over the place. And they ended up, the church was packed and a man got saved. <laughs> I was told they were going to have a protest. And then the, the minister came. He says, like, if you don't want to get into the middle of this, I understand. Well, I'll calm it all down. I says, listen. You called him Bran. I says, listen, Bran. If you want me not to go, I not go. But it's because it's because it's you're telling me you're, I'm not coming. I says, but I ain't going. I'll be there. And he says, okay, I'm willing if you're willing. I says, I'm up for it. And there were certain ones put all around where we lived that Alison was a prostitute. She suddenly come into our church and that I was an alcoholic or even alcoholic. All these things were going on to try and stop us coming to preach the word. And we kept going and we ended up, when we got there, the place was packed. Everybody wanted to see who they were, what was going on. And there were people who came just to support us. So I told them, Protestant denomination, I told them you're going to hell if you're not saved. There was a man, his wife had been praying for him for years. And I got this call early hours of the morning. Her husband had came because he had heard of all the whole uproar. He says, I want to see what us is about. So, I went, or so he, he went and he got saved. It's a man from Warringstown. And he got saved. Middle of the night, he went home, you see. And all he could hear was the word of God. The word of God was in his ears. Until he got up and he says, oh, if I die without Christ, I'll go to hell. And his wife's phone she says, he's got on his knees and he's pleading for mercy. Crying unto the Lord. Faith comes by hearing and if they had have seen Christ walk out, sure, how many of them would have said, oh, I'd follow this man, I'd follow this one. Just for a while, but until it becomes a fading memory, you see. And when the fading memory of the, the miracle goes, what happens, even when we have our own miracles, we tend to then forget the power of it. We tend to forget what Christ has done in it. But when the word of God enters the heart, you can't run away from it. You can't run away from it because it's there. That's why every pulpit should be opening this book and preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ. So why did he not walk out? Well, We cannot, I wrote this thirdly, we cannot understand anything about him except we know through his revelation. He didn't want them to know at that point in time. He didn't want them to know at that point in time. 
to show them, here I am walking on the water, but rather he would leave it to his father as he preached the word through the Spirit. You know, we can't understand God's ways. Romans 11 and 33 says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. People have asked me, I've spoke to, I've spoke to quite a few people about this over the years. And some have even said to me, oh, should I even take a medicine because I should be trusting in the Lord? Now, listen, listen, brothers and sisters, I want to make this clear. I want to make this clear. I believe in God's healing power. I believe it. I've seen it. I spoke this morning about it to Ruth, about Alison. So I've seen it. I'm not denying it. I believe it. But at a place point in time and you need some sort of a medicine to help you to recover, take it. In first Second Kings chapter twenty, Hezekiah is a reformer in Judah. He's a king. He's a reformer. He's reforming the temple, building it up again for the worship of the Lord. And as being a reformer, he, he, it says he done that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. He, he, he done right. He was a good king, as we would say. Now, I need you to listen to this. Hezekiah is told through Isaiah the prophet, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. And Hezekiah turns his face to the wall, cries unto the Lord, Isaiah has walked out, was walking out of the the palace, as it were, across the court, and the Lord speaks to Isaiah and says, go get his servants to make a poultice of figs and put it on the sore boil, as it said, probably like a tumor or maybe some poison in it. And he says, I will heal him. And so Isaiah goes, the servants make a poultice of figs, uh, it's put on uh, Hezekiah's sore boil, wherever that is, and the Lord heals him and gives him 15 years. Why did the Lord not just say, Hezekiah, I hear your prayer, you're healed? He could have. He could have. Why did the Lord not just say then to Isaiah, Isaiah, go in and lay hands upon him, and I will heal him? He could have, but he didn't. Why did he not say, Isaiah, go in and say, Thus saith the Lord, and speak the word, and I will heed him. But he didn't. He could have, but he didn't. But instead he said, Go, get the servants, make a poultice, and put it upon it. And I'll heal him. Why did he do that? Why did Jesus walk on water? And then get into a boat instead? Why not walk on water that day? Here's the thing, brothers and sisters. See, the poultice would be like you needing something for that point in time to help you through something. If you broke your leg, you'd put a plaster cast on it, wouldn't you? And so with certain things you need help with. Until God would do otherwise. You and I could try and work out why Jesus didn't 
walk on the water at this time, but rather was pushed out on a boat when he walked on water before. You and I could wonder, why did he not just speak the word of Hezekiah or to Isaiah and so on? Why did he do it that way? Why did God do this this way and this another way? Why did God allow this to happen? And why is God allowing all these things to happen in the earth at this present time? And we could ask and ask and ask and try and find out the depths and plumb it all with God. Why is God not bringing this to pass now? And why is God not answering my prayers now? And when he does answer, why did he not answer it the way I thought he would? And why is he doing it the way he's doing it? And we can try and work it out. Now listen, we can never work out the whole plans and purposes and ways of God. And here's what happens. We get frustrated. We get annoyed. We get downcast and disillusioned. Asking all the time. It's okay to ask God questions, but sometimes we just don't know. But what we do know is that the old saying is we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow. And to try and work out everything to do with deity, to do with the Godhood of Christ and the Godhead of Christ and to try and work out everything of, 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 of why God and why God doesn't and why he should and whenever he shouldn't and to try and work out the ways, the plans, the purposes. Why does God allow so much evil and wickedness and sin? Why? I know it's man's depraved evil nature. I understand that. But why does he allow it? Why does he allow young ones to take ill and die? Why does he allow certain things to happen? We don't know. I can give you ideas of it. I can give you what scripture says and someone can come and cross-reference and give you something else. And the thing is, we just have to trust God that he has a bigger plan and purpose for it all. That he knows all about it. And he knows what he's doing. And he knows the end of a thing from the beginning thereof. I could try and work out, don't know many things in my life. Why? Why, Lord? And I nearly drove myself mad trying to work it out. Sometimes I still try and work it out. Many times I say, Lord, I don't know. Can't understand it. I don't know what to do. Jehoshaphat said, but my eyes are on you. I'm keeping my eyes on you. I better round this up soon. So, And Luke 5 and verse 4, he says, it says, Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Notice this. He tells them, fishermen who know this body of water, probably know why it's called after a harp where we don't. We can guess. Probably know the ways, the currents, things about it that like no one else 
But the Lord says, launch out into the deep, let down your nets for a draft. In other words, if you launch out, you're going to catch fish. And, and the reply is, Simon says. The reply is, so Simon says, answering unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night. I've taken nothing. Exhausted. Wearied. Tired. Disappointed. Disillusioned. Downcast. Dejected. Physically. Physically wrecked. All night. And nothing. You ever feel like that? Feel like that? You're just so tired and exhausted with it. With whatever. I do. I do. The Lord says, cast out the net, Lord, I'm too tired. Cast out the net, Lord. Been fishing all night and I'm too tired. I'm wrecked, Lord. I'm tired. I've caught nothing. Nothing's happening. In John 15 and 5, the Lord Jesus says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Now listen, for without me, without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. And the word without is chorus. And it means if you're separated from me, if you're apart from me, it gives the idea of a space between us. So, if there's a space between you and the Lord and fellowship, if there's been a separation between you and the Lord, and walking with him. He says you can do nothing without me. With this gap. So someone this morning and you know. That separation has been there. That fellowship is broken. There's a space between you and the Lord. That's why we find our labors are so hard at times. That's why there's fruitlessness, no fruit at times. Because of a separation, as it were. Not that the Lord leaves you, it's because you leave the Lord. Because his promise is to the believer, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And back to front it is the same, isn't it? I told you before, thee forsake nor thee leave, never will I. But sometimes there's a gap, there's a space. And he says, apart from me. You see, he's the friend that sticketh closer than the brother. You see, he's the one who brings forth the strength of life and the fruit of in your life. 
the vine feeding. Lord, we've told all the night and have taken nothing. Now listen to this. Nevertheless, tired and weary, I'm hurt, I'm mournful. I just don't know what's up with me, Lord. Maybe that's you. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. Now listen, nevertheless, at thy word. Nevertheless, at thy word. Do you see if the Holy Spirit has taken the word of God this morning and winged it to your heart and spoken to you? Maybe you need to do something. Maybe you haven't given something over. Maybe you need to change. Maybe you need to become a new or another man, another woman in our ways or temperaments even or whatever. Whatever it is that God is saying, and maybe it's because of the exhaustion of the fruitlessness of life and fruitlessness of the walk and no nearness of the Spirit. Well, here's the thing. The Lord's speaking to you this morning. Say, Lord, I'm exhausted with all of this. Nevertheless, at thy word. Because you've said it, Lord. You're fearful. You've been struggling with it and it's wore you down. You've been stressed out and it just breaks you to bits. Your body has gotten tired and weary and sore and achy, not just because of age, but because of pressure and stress. And the Lord's saying, you need to do this. You need to do that. Or you, however the Lord's speaking to you this morning, you say, but Lord, I'm like this. And I've tried. Nevertheless, at thy word, Lord, I will let down the nets for a draft. I'm going to do it, Lord. Even in my tiredness, even in my weakness, even in my weariness, Lord, I will do it. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. I finish with this. I have too much material. I know four pages in this one. When we get in Luke 5 and 5, it says, And Simon answering said unto him, Master. Would you say master? master. Would you say it louder? Master. Now Simon says, Master. You ready? See this word here, master. It's a word epistatis. And it's only used by Luke for the word master. There's other words that are used for master throughout the Greek New Testament. But only used by Luke is this word epistates for master use. Here's what I want to show you. This word means commander. Sometimes when we read master, it means teacher or maybe rabbi. Other times for master, they put in uh, didaskulos, teacher or rabbi. And in verse five, chapter 5 and verse 3, it says that Jesus sat down and taught the people at the end of the verse. The word taught is didaskulos or uh, didasko. And Delasco means, from Delascalos means, the teacher is here. He taught on the boat. But when Peter says, nevertheless, at thy word, or when Peter says, I'm going to do what he tells me, he calls him master for this to happen. 
master. Epistetes. And it means commander. So what he's saying is, at your word, at your command, this will happen. You're the commander, Lord. You're the commander. So Isaiah says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. And hence he throws out the nets at the commander's word. Nevertheless at thy word. He throws out the net. Pulls in a great draught. And he had to get the other boat with him. And he nearly sinks the two boats. You see the boats were filled with fish. Peter lent Jesus the boat. For preaching the word of God. But when Peter, Simon Peter lent his boat. The Lord filled Peter's boat in return. You see. God is no man's debtor and you can't outgive the Lord. Peter says, depart from me. What does Simon say? Master. Now he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Here's the first step in not only salvation, but in sanctification. When there's been a gap between us and the Lord. Seeing that he's Lord. He's not, he's not some hippie hippie dude, as people like to think it. He's not some brotherly hippie dude with long long hair dancing around in a long frock, as some people like to think, who's full of love and hearts and flowers and all of those things. He is the Lord. He is Master. He is God, our Commander. Our Commander. Peter sees that and says, Depart from me, O Lord, for I'm a sinful man. Brothers and sisters, there's the first step in getting right with God. There's the first step in bringing again that gap, fixing that gap. There's the first step. He doesn't want you to depart. You crap, but he'll come closer. God bless us this morning. God bless his word to all of our hearts this morning. Without me, you can do nothing. God bless you this morning. Well, would you come up, please? And the team, thank you.